all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Shannon Friedrich, and this is a lovely and intense and beautiful and sad and good conversation about some fucking heavy stuff, all right? I I was a comedian before, which also we, (laughs) Oliver and I talked about a lot of heavy shit there too, Um, and Shannon is a musician and a, he is a cancer survivor and uh, an ex-addict. And this is a very, very interesting conversation about the highs and lows of all the crazy shit that he has experienced so far in his life. He's a very good friend of our other friend, Lucas Stone, who uh, was on this podcast a couple times. And uh, he put me in touch with Shannon. And uh, this is just a lovely Intense and beautiful conversation about some pretty heavy shit. Don't get scared, though. There's a lovely, nice morals, nuggets of beautiful notions that come out of this thing, <laughs> particularly how to take better care of yourself, how to, uh, what it's like to feel bad and how you can kind of pull yourself out of it. And knowing that no matter how bad things seem to get, um, you know, there's a way out on the other side. So please do enjoy this conversation. Uh, If you like these podcasts or want to help me out, you can do that by liking my Facebook pages. It's Lorna Bremner on Facebook or Instagram, Lorna underscore Bremner. I also have a Twitter. I'm fucking no idea why really, just for the sake of it being there, I guess. Um, And that's just at Lorna Bremner also. You All these episodes are available on everywhere you get podcasts, including Spotify, uh, I, Apple Podcasts. You can rate them. You can fucking subscribe to them, whatever, as you wish, please. And I also have a Patreon page, which helps support the finances that go into this podcast, buying equipment and paying for the hosting and stuff. Uh, that is patreon.com slash Lorna Bremner. By you spending five bucks a month, uh, which would be like one coffee a month. Uh, you help me continue to live my life in a fulfilling way. Keep me off the drugs or give me enough money to get back on the drugs. Well, up up to you, really. (laughs) That's the beauty of Patreon is I do what I want. That doesn't sound right. That's not a very good selling point, is it? I won't use your money for drugs, okay? That I can promise. All right, enough of me hammering, yammering shit. Thank you guys so much for listening as always. Thank you to Shannon for coming onto this podcast and talking about some pretty heavy shit that couldn't have been easy. Hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Let's do it. Let's do this. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. You got dry needling just then. Draw nailing. And which yeah. makes your back spasm. That shit is fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. What's the logic behind it? It's like little bits of trauma. So the- apparently um, they were doing, they, they comes from acupuncture. They were using um, drugs or chemicals to different patients um, and they were 
giving them injections to treat pain. Uh, and what happened was some of the injections, they, they, were, they, was, they were trying different things and one of them was nothing in the needles. There was nothing in the needles. It was just the needle um, to treat the pain and it had just as much success as any of the drugs and they realised mm. it was not necessarily the drugs being injected into the muscle or the, the, the pain areas but necessarily the needle it was the needle that was that was releasing and triggering the the muscle itself. So they realised I could just draw a needle and some something along those lines. Yeah, oh, that's like, interesting. Yeah, so because I've I've heard that yeah, like you give something a small amount of trauma, even like putting ice on an inflamed area, whatever. It's like your uh, ice on an injury is trauma, but like a small amount of trauma to the point where your blood rushes to the area flushes it out like it brings attention to the area so that the mm. area starts to heal itself um what's his name uh fucking william burroughs has got a great book called junkie have you ever read that no no that might be appropriate for yeah. you and your life experience <laughs> but um it's a great book about uh being a maniac and doing lots of drugs in the 40s and 50s and he um his theory was that going through junk sickness actually regenerated the whole body because <laughs> right. he'd put himself like through this trauma but it's mm. enough trauma the body can handle it and he's like it's not like people have over dramatized the junk sickness thing it's like it's bad like withdrawals mm. are gross but it feels like a bad cold or like a flu mm. for a few days and then you kind of snap out of it but he was like um he's the, his theory was that junkies always looked younger than other people because they are more de- regenerated some, some of them have got good skin and, some, and some of them produced like <laughs> Healthy kids, you look at them and you think, I remember growing up and, and seeing some of the yeah, junkies at home and, yeah, they, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's his theory is that, like, if you're constantly killing all the cells in your body, then your body has to be constantly yeah. replacing them with better cells. And so mm. it's like all the old ones or crusty ones are getting regenerated. Like the whole fasting thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, similar that's concept of fasting. But I mean, that's kind of what you were sort of just alluding to is that you were saying, we were just talking just before we turned on the mics about like your life story and what's going on with you. And that was like, you said, lucky enough to experience. And I don't know how many people, I think a lot of people who've been through cancer and fucked up sickness and fucked up things in their life would only say lucky enough afterward. Mm. But anyone from the outside would look at what you've experienced and be like, lucky enough. Mm. <laughs> that's fucking gnarly but you're right you're totally right because i i think uh in the same way that needles going into somebody's body to create a little bit of trauma for some healing can be therapeutic in the long run if you if you can handle it i think there's only a certain level of trauma that a person can handle before it breaks them yeah and sometimes if you do get broken as long as you've got the means to repair yourself it can mm. be something that you can be lucky enough to have in the future I think, um, and you probably know through fighting sports and stuff like that, when you're pushed up against a wall when you've got no other option but to survive, mm. um, something else takes over. Yeah. Uh, rather than, um, yeah, you've got no other, you just don't have any other option. You have to pull up those resources and, and, and go into survival mode and, and you, you become, it becomes like a, a second nature thing. You You, mm. you then... Uh, subconsciously take over rather than consciously be in charge and make decisions that you, you do or don't want to make. You, mm. you, you're left to make the um, vital decisions that need to be made in those moments. I think, um, yeah, maybe in my experience because I was 
you know, at a certain stage. Um, I had no time to think. It was just a matter of... It was stage you're, four. You're thrown in the deep end and, yeah. and you've got to swim. You know, you can't just... You can tread water but eventually you're going to have to swim out of that deep end. You can't just tread water forever in the deep end. So, Fuck. yeah, you, you know, you, you pull together uh, a deeper... I don't know. It's like people that get trapped under cars and, and someone, you know... Pulls, and yeah, like lifts, lifts the, the car, car up, and it's yeah, like, how the fuck yeah, did that happen? Just, yeah, man, just survival instinct and takes over, and yeah, that's kind of an doing. amazing thing. Like, uh, I do notice that we, uh, so much of my time, I'm dealing with this concept of like letting go of control a little bit lately. It's been a kind of a recurring thing for the last few months because I'm trying something brand new that I'm, you know, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, and I am realizing, like we were talking about earlier today, that like the the more I try to control the situation and try to be a somebody and try to like have everything tight and in, like in control when I'm on stage, it feels rigid and fucked and gross. And mm. then the more I like kind of let go and be a normal human, everything flows a lot better. It's a lot nicer. But um, so this is this kind of recurring theme that I typically have always thought if I can manage the shit and be in charge of it, everything will be fine. But every time I've done that, I've made it harder for myself because it's like the absence of me when you relax and let things run their course, roll with it, move with it. It's almost like your subconscious self and your innate nature knows how to handle shit better than you do. Mm. And I know it in fighting. What's funny about it is that on the surface, I think I need to be in control. But I know from direct experience in a fight that it doesn't work. Me trying to be in control when I'm fighting makes me lose like that's where I fuck up mm. anytime I try to like because if they're you can't have that two seconds of delay where your trainer says jab and you go oh should I there's no mm. there's no time like you have to hear jab and go I trust him I'm doing it whatever yeah. he says goes and it that's the only way to win a fight it's the only way to fight successfully really is the absence of you yeah and what's funny about that is that like so many lessons that I've learned in the ring I can apply to my external life. And now this is what I'm coming up against now is like, oh, fuck, that's a major lesson. Why is it so hard to let go of this now? The stakes are no different. They're actually probably easier because I'm not going to get knocked out. Yeah. Not if things go well. <laughs> I haven't yet had someone try to knock me out on stage. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I think that that's a really interesting point. And you said this to me before when we were talking about you when you got diagnosed with cancer and you were kind of like, okay, fuck, um, that you said... Well, you had an interesting experience, though, beforehand, because you had already had a chronic illness for a long mm. time before that, right? Mm. So do you mind talking about that? Like, how did, that, how did this whole thing start? Yeah, so, um, yeah, my, obviously a very personal story, and, and a lot of people that know me know um, how deep that story goes, of um, being a teenager, getting caught up in, um, <clears throat> in a world of um, anti-socialism um, and... Uh, I was a, a teenager growing up in Wollongong, caught up um, uh, in the – I was a musician um, and yeah, caught up in the drug scene. Um, one thing led to another and next thing you you find yourself in a dark place and, and I had some personal stuff going on in my, in my home that was, you know, a, a broken down family and um, I was a bit of a lost kid really. You just find yourself on the streets – Mm. Um, rather than at home because the home environment is not homely um, and uh, you get caught up, you know, you think you're the only one going through it sometimes when you're growing up but 
you know, your friends are going through something similar as well. And uh, me and a lot of the people I knew and we're very creative, colourful, um, outgoing people. A lot of you, some of you really, you know, some really smart, high-level performer people um, tend to get caught up in those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And But, yeah, it was just the lifestyle that we lived down there. And um, But, yeah, went down down that road and, and one thing, you know, start, start smoking, you start smoking pot, you start doing something else. And next thing you find yourself, you know, using drugs at a, at a very serious um, level at a young age um, and, yeah, before I knew it, I was just, yeah, caught up in some really dark places and I was still pretty young um, and it was hard to s- step away from that um, without the, the support and um, the environment to nurture uh, growth as a young person. You, you're relying on your friends to lead you and, it, and if you're all caught up doing mm. the same thing then, you know... You, you, what do you think the lure of it was for you guys? Because that's a really common thing among uh, among tons of creative people. I, mm. And I know the feeling very well. There's a dark... There's, it feels like a void in the inside of me and there's a place that I can go to with creativity that feels safe and feels mm. like home. Mm. And But it's hard to access and it's not always there. It's not reliable. It appears every once in a while when I kind of can free myself from it. But... And it's really hard to describe that to anybody else. It's hard to uh, feel connected to other people when you're doing that. It's very lonely to be mm. creative because you have to kind of spend a lot of time in your own thinking about things and working on stuff. What do you think it was for you guys? I don't know whether it was um, the ability to dial in on that creativity. Um, obviously, you know, looking back in history and, and a lot of creative people that, that have used or abused drugs have done amazing work. Um, and, uh, it's that sense of, you know, there are moments where you feel quite in tune with yourself, um, because you've released or unlocked certain levels of consciousness through, through drug use and, and, Mm, but, um, yeah, fuck yeah. Cause it feels a little bit like that place, the mm, same place where creativity comes from sometimes, especially like with acid, it's kind of like, Oh, this is a reliable way I can get back to that feeling of comfort and lostness in the place that usually gives me comfort through creativity. Yeah. And, you know, and, and other, you know, amphetamines tend to allow you to focus for mm. massively extended periods of time. So that was maybe one side of things as well, whereas you'd, you'd probably do something for an hour, then you'd get bored of it and you'd move on to the next thing. You'd be distracted by something else. But those types of um, chemical influences would allow you to spend five, six hours yeah. dialed in on what you were doing and, and completely Fucking. the world doesn't <laughs> exist. All you're doing is, you know, and <laughs> so maybe it had a lot to do with that as well. But, yeah, it becomes becomes a, a way of life mm. before you know it and, and next thing you know, that's what you're doing regularly. And you, as a creative person, you're producing content, which is a good thing, you know, and you're you know, for me, I was a drummer and, and, and we were musicians and, and so I, it would allow me to just focus on drumming all day. I'd, I'd just sit there and just tap sticks and, and, and just get used, get my body used to just doing that all day and um, all that energy as well, putting all that energy into that creative outlet. But, um, but yeah, when you rely on that and, and it becomes a trap for you, then um, for me personally, I got shot out the other end and and a lot of other people um i was probably lucky in some ways because i didn't become a full-time junkie 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've I've experienced that world, um, but I got bitten hard by it and, and contracted a, a blood disease through mm-hmm. you know a a, a rogue night, a, you know, a bad decision um, that come back to haunt me. And, and in the in the moment, I knew that it was a bad decision, and um, yeah, found myself six months, twelve months down the track when I had come to the end of this dark road I, I i took a journey down this road of oh yes smoke a bit of pot here you know next thing i'm smoking bongs every day next thing i'm, I'm using you know amphetamines and, and i'm i'm intravenously injecting drugs into my body and and caught mm. up in that's the only way you're going to do it from now on because that's the only way that you're going to get a real effect and um and then deciding after that long road of dark going down so many dark alleyways that at the end of every dark alleyway is the same thing. Right. There's no, yeah, I mean. there's no rainbow. There's nothing to find at the end of that. You, anyone going down that road, you're going to find what I've probably found and what a lot of other people have probably found, which is a fucking long way back out of it. It's, right. a, it's a deep hole you dig and yeah. there's only – you either sit in that hole and, and spend more time there or you have to dig yourself out and, and get back into – society i suppose and 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 or just just find a way back to <laughs> human health is probably the most important thing and it, and it puts you in an unhealthy state and, yeah, yeah. and self-abuse but um but yeah i just i realized that i was at the end of this and um when i decided i was gonna try and come out of it and i you know, through broken, I was a broken young soul, um, and I, I'd given up. I'd, I quit yeah. on myself. Um, so my way out was to OD, um, and that didn't work out. And I got uh, my experience was being found by a young boy in Western Sydney. What did you try to OD with? Heroin. Heroin. Yeah. yeah so, fuck me. Um, but um, I just. Yeah, I'd, I'd. What were you thinking before it happened? Like, do you remember consciously oh, being you, like this? Yeah, is... you, you just, it's it's a type of rock bottom where you you've probably spent a lot of time at rock bottom, but it's breaking point. And, and you know, I've had um, some friends who have um, committed suicide, which is very very upsetting. Um, a lot of people I know deal with it on a daily basis. Um, we all do. Um, you know, life can be very, very hard at times and mm. and confusing and um, often unsatisfying. And uh, it's just, you know, a, a, your mental state can really mess with you if you if you oh, don't fuck, keep yeah, it. Man, I know. Keep it. Um, keep it in. Like you need to have some sort of. Focus and purpose and direction. Otherwise, if you get lost on that track, if you get caught in your head, and, and next thing mm. you find yourself telling yourself things that yeah, you know, it's aren't a serving. pure hopelessness. I mm, completely mm, understand yeah. of what um, you're talking about, and it, yeah, it's it when you, when you can see that the only option is to turn the lights off mm. because everything else is unbearable. Mm. That th- there is something I remember for me, it was that I wanted to stop time, Mm. like that I had had enough of just time. Mm. There was so much pain and disappointment, and and I felt like no matter – I was so – like it was a 
uncomfortable situation. It has always been an uncomfortable feeling that time will go whether I'm here or not here. And I think this is probably a little bit of that element of, of being afraid of losing control is that I'm here every day, no matter what is the, the sun will rise, the sun will set, the sun will rise. Like it just goes and goes and goes. And I have to be here doing something with the time while the sun is up and not, and the sun goes down. Like I had to, and so I always felt this like invisible force pushing me and that I, every once in a while, like when I get to those really dead low points where it's like, I, I don't want to be pushed anymore. Stop mm. pushing me. Can't Just give me a break. I need a rest. I need time to stop. I need everything to stop so that I, can, I, don't, I don't constantly feel this force to be pushed to be a something or do a something or uh, just to exist. Yeah. Like it's like, um, you know, like if somebody's standing over you yelling at you and you just go, I just need a fucking five minutes. Yeah. Walk away and you can take that little time. Yeah. It's like I couldn't escape from time. Mm. And every minute I sat there wishing for this end of time, more time was passing. So it was this never-ending, you know, it, mm. it, it was the most hopeless situation yeah. I could. Yeah. I felt so trapped that, yeah, and it was like, all right, the best option here is just to stop time. And I know that there's one way of doing that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's at least stopping my experience of time. Yeah, it can um, cause you to break and, mm. you know, everything that you're trying to hold together just shatters and... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's such a scary moment. Like it's a, Do you to remember? make that decision is, is, um, yeah, you, I think you start to reason with yourself and, mm. and, and I think there's a, that's when you really, you, you, there's a battle, like no one ever really wants to go through it, I don't think. Um, but the, the part of you that wants to has more control of you at the time and, mm. um, it tends to. Uh, tells the other part of you to quiet and yeah, it's 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 committed, yeah, it's made it's, its mind. Yeah, it's decided it's committed to it and it's going to do it. Like, do you remember that feeling of like loading that shit up and being like, "This is the last time." Yeah, I think. Were you consciously uh, I think aware I fumbled of it? through was it as quick as I could. Uh, I didn't want to. I I was trying to just make it happen. Just 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 hurry up and get through this so that we don't have to sit here and contemplate it too much. Because the more time you give it, the more um, the more reasoning comes into play and the more that you start questioning what you're actually doing and, wow. and say, hold on a second, like, there are other options, like, you know, you, there is a way, there's a way out or a way forward. But I think at that time and at that young age, I, 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 yeah, I'd just given up. I just I felt like I'd exhausted every option that was available to me, but I, I wasn't mature enough to know more about life and, and more about options or I was just... I was just running away from it all. And it was hard. It was, yeah, the pressure, um, emotions, mm. um, life was over, too over, it was overwhelming to a point of, you know, and there was no joy. I wasn't enjoying life. I was, um, yeah, it was just a tough, and tough place. But that was after a diagnosis. No, it? so that was, um, I think it was prior to... So once that that didn't work out, and and I had to, I woke <laughs> didn't up, work woke out. Up, Thank yeah, God for that. <laughs> yeah, it's happened twice. It happened twice in my life. Um, two moments like that, and it come around again later, and that was probably my my greatest rock bottom. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I realized that well, this this hasn't worked out. This you, you you're forced to live on, um, and because of that little kid finding me, I felt responsible for his. Scenario like he he had to find me in that scenario. And I, from yeah. a young kid, he 
would have been maybe 10 or 11 or 12 years old or something. When they, when I woke up in the hospital and they told me this story, I, I just felt responsible and yeah, felt wow. obliged to, you know, I just, I, it, it caused me to dig extremely deep and I was able to use that experience to go cold turkey um, and, and stop drinking, smoking, any drugs um, and it changed my life. And I used, luckily at the time I was a, I was a drummer and I was a musician and, and I was able to use that nervous, that energy from addiction and abuse um, and turn it into um, a creative outlet which was yeah. tapping, con- like just dr- drumming, constant, constant practice, constant practice, constant practice, practice, practice and and the fact that it was music as well, that the creative mindset was 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 just going ballistic and um, well, and it's such a hard thing. Drumming is so difficult and it's so physical. So you're well, getting it, your head out of your brain into your body mm, and we use yeah again because you you know like addiction is a is a is a body state as well. It's a mental state, but your body is addicted. Like we were talking about coffee before, and mm-hmm. your body gets addicted to coffee. So that that addiction again, it's it's energy. It's it's energy inside of your body, and I was able to take that energy out of my body through yeah. a means of drumming and and using and I spent hours and hours and hours, and I dug myself out of this hole and found myself um, moving in a in a better direction. But it led me to just going to the doctors and. Um, just checking on myself because I wasn't sure, you know, I'd, I'd been caught up in, you know, those dark places and mm. and that scenario of, of uh, you know, where I'd potentially – I had to go get tested. I got tested and um, – And got, it was because you'd known that you'd used yeah, dirty needles to, or you'd been yeah, around just, it or just, something? Just yeah, just around it, yeah, in that in that environment. But, um, Damn. yeah, I got tested and, and came out hepatitis C positive. And, Fuck, um, man. It was the worst, worst day of my life, just – um, getting that result, uh, walking out of the doctor's surgery, I was broken, mm. a broken person. Um, and, um, yeah, had to go through a long time of self-reflection and I had to, I had to believe in, I don't know, I don't know what it was. It was just, it was hard. It was a very, very hard place to be for a very long time. And I, and I carried that disease for 19 years of my life. Yeah, um, because at the time there was no cure no for cure it then. All, so yeah. the, it was like getting an AIDS diagnosis yeah, pretty it was, much. it was um, a blood-borne disease. And, I mean, it was a blood disease that, um, yeah, they couldn't get rid of. So, um, And what kind of impact that does that have away. on your body? Like what, what's it doing? So what it's a liver, it attacks the liver. So okay. the, I think the liver... Um, Oh God! I don't know how good I am at medical. I should know more about this. But, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, whatever the liver's process is. What in, did you in, feel? I like. Did it impact you? Yeah, it impacted me through. Um, oh, obviously, you couldn't drink. Like drinking, I you know I keep drinking to a very minimal. Whenever I do drink, I get tired straight away. Mm. So my liver gets over was was overloaded, um, and I didn't enjoy drinking because of the way it made me feel. Whereas some people drink and they become happier and happier. Mm. I would drink, and I would find that. I'd become more tired and more exhausted, and and I, you know, I'd want to go and rest and and sleep or whatever. So, drinking didn't have the effect on me that it might might have had on others. But I was very conscious of the fact that I needed to then be live a more healthy life and make mm-hmm. better decisions. So, the positive that I was able to get out of that was obviously one was to um, go clean and 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 turn my life around and. and move it towards something creative and positive. 
um, but also to live um, by the time I was 20, 21 years old, I was extremely healthy. You know, yeah, I was an extremely that's healthy really person. Good, like it was, yeah. it was eating well. I was, uh, I turned to a, a vegetarian vegan diet back in those days. Um, I was playing for a vegan band and um, learning about something that was new to me, which was I knew nothing about food, knew mm. nothing about diet. I'd lived on a Macca's diet prior to that. <laughs> um, and I was unhealthy, you know. I, and I turned, you know, I turned an unhealthy body into a healthy body and I do more of what's good and less of what I think is, is not so good. Although I live on chocolate and coffee but um (laughs) but yeah but it was definitely a a life-changing experience where um yeah I was able to take such a a controlling situation that I I felt I had no control over or at least I was struggling with but uh, finding that outlet was the probably the most important thing I said drumming drumming Mm. the ability like a a, 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 a situation that I felt responsible for which was someone else's upbringing like that what they had to see and and i was responsible for that that was a big um eye-opener um mm-hmm. that was a catalyst for for the change and then also being responsible for the people around me and i realized that i was putting my family even though my family were going through their own struggles my parents were, were struggling and, and got divorced um i was putting them through hell i was putting the people around me through hell because i wasn't a happy person. I mm. wasn't living a, a good, happy, healthy life and I wasn't providing good energy for those people. My energy was very negative and it was, you know, obviously I was in a bad way. Yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was wanting to end my life because I wasn't happy. Um, and I started to realise that don't, don't be so all about, don't be so selfish. Like you're here, you're responsible for the energy you bring to others as well. So start bringing better energy to them. Start bringing better energy to scenarios and situations and mm. being a better person for that. And I just started to put more emphasis on being being responsible, being made, I made myself probably more accountable um, on a daily basis. And so, it, yeah, it helped me develop um, just better. Yeah, isn't that fucked that it, that it takes something so extreme sometimes to like slap you in the face to realize? Because I feel like a lot of my better insights have come off the back of me doing something fucked up mm. or feeling really bad. Yeah. Because it's almost like you, you are forced to look at the thing. It's so bad you have to look at it objectively mm. to find your way out of it in a way. And, and yeah, you're right. Like sometimes the only other option is to go into it worse. Mm. And, I, and it, it, the problem is, is it never feels good to do that. But we, I don't know why we do it. Like I, where you were talking about, you know, like as you're falling down that hole and your mates are around you, they're all doing the same thing. Like I know that sensation. I, I sort of found like it also uh, romantic. Like I was like, oh, I'm just yeah. like every other creative person. Like I'm just going to yeah. drink my life. Like I wake up yeah. and have whiskey for breakfast because that's what the cool people do. You know, and it's mm. like I didn't see how slippery and gross that was mm. until the uh, same thing. You kind of have one of those wake up moments where you go, fucking what are you doing? Yeah. Like yeah. what's happening here? Because from the outside, it seemed, yeah, like this kind of, it was almost like I enjoyed the fucked upness. Yep. Of it, like I wanted, I I remember distinctly having sensations, being like, I don't want to be in this brain at all today. I want to see how fucked up I can possibly get this. Yeah. Like how how bad can I actually take this? And I and I and like in my really drunk states, I would be like, I'd be like 
fucking wash over me, just the filth. Like, I just remember, like, just surrounding myself in just filth and just, ugh. I don't, I just <laughs> bring it on because I deserve it and fine. Yeah. I remember just being so fucking gross and being like, what? Is this? Yeah, it's common. I see. I mean, I see it with alcohol a lot. I, I, oh. I see people still going. Like I watch people punish themselves. Mm. Um, you know, write themselves off, and and people do it regularly. And and maybe it's it is that thing. It's that. Um, it's it's almost. I feel like a little bit. It's a it, again this theme that keeps coming up in my head all the time. But it's like that you're trying all the time to hold it together. And you allow yourself to not hold it together after a couple drinks or whatever. And I remember in those times where I was like, how much more loose can I let this get? And it's not like I was really like outward loose drinker. Not like that. Like I wasn't like the life of the party by any means. Mm. Um, More than anything, I was just depressed and sad and sitting in a corner, like going home by myself and drinking as much as I could. Because I, I, and alcohol rarely suits me. It's actually only suited me now much better. Like I actually have a much clearer brain about it uh, after taking up three and a half years off. But Mm. um, I, the, it was for me, it was like, I can, I need to let go here. How much more can I let go? Mm-hmm. And once I'd had the initial release, like that, you know, when you start drinking, you're like, eh, fuck it, nothing matters. And it was just like, cause I never let myself feel like nothing matters. Everything mm-hmm. matters constantly to me. Like everything mm-hmm. has to be perfect. Everything has to be, I have to be working on that. I'm thinking and trying and doing things better and better and better. I'm always pushing myself. So when I start drinking, I'm like, oh, oh, this is a nice break Mm. from my own fucking psychotic head. And so I was like, all right, how much more can I let go? Fine. So once I started letting go and I started feeling like just the, like how disgusting it is to be a human. And that doesn't sound quite right, but it's like, like you start to feel like the, the grottiness of human existence, like the dirty dinginess of it. Mm. Like how dirty can this possibly go? Like how, how far can I go the opposite direction of what I think I should be? Yeah. And it, and it was almost like, again, like another challenge for me to be able to let go to that point. And I, I don't know, maybe I feel like sometimes when people are constantly working to hold shit together every day, that's, they're the ones that are most susceptible to Absolutely. diving off the deep end. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you see, you see it in high level working, like, you know, professions under mm. a lot of stress and they're keeping it together all day and they're working under high pressure and high stress as soon as they... They get an opportunity to let all that go. They get loose. There's a pressure valve. You know, and yeah. once you get that little bit out, yeah, it's like, mm. it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of a lot of professional people have gone through it or, or going through it and mm. have probably hit, you know, whether it be gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex. It's a know, funny thing, there's, isn't it? There's that outlet that people are searching for to just switch off. Yeah. You know, switch off because, you know, life is requiring them to be on all the time, mm. all the time, and and that's the only thing that allows them to switch off. Yeah. So, um, yeah. it's that's really interesting to me too because it, like creative people are as susceptible to drug abuse as really high level professional people, mm. but neither one of them like they're drastically different, different types of yeah, characters, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they're very and and I would say it's a judgmental thing to say but like i would say i'd have very little in common with somebody who's like a high-powered businessman Mm. except for that one thing that both of us need an outlet Mm. to lose control yeah and whether because and my my kind of need to escape myself probably feels a little bit more intimate in some ways it's good because i know i'm in control of Mm. my own 
need to control myself. <laughs> Whereas like somebody like that in a high powered position, they've put themselves in that position, but they can't leave. You know, like they probably feel like they're trapped in their job and that's yeah. their job. And if they leave, they're going to lose everything or whatever. So there's a lot of external social pressure on them. Whereas I feel like probably why a lot of creative people tend to fall into suicide or despair in a serious way is because we can't escape our own brains. Yep. Like they're, I'm the one putting pressure on me. 24 7 it's me yeah and there's no vacation from me yeah, the only exactly, vacation yeah. i get from myself you know, you get, is you know, taking you get saturday drugs. sunday off every week do no you? no not mm. at all and, and i understand that they'd feel that kind of pressure too but it's a different kind i feel like it's a different oh i fucking who knows i've never been inside that person's brain but i did just in listening to you talk then i was like fuck that is actually kind of weird that we you these two drastically different types of characters would be feeling the same thing. Yeah, share something in common on, on such different levels. Or, mm. Mm. But so after, so that's and that's an amazing thing. So after you had you had come to terms with this, like you said, that was like one of the worst days of your life, getting that diagnosis, which is because hepatitis C to me is kind of like such an obscure. Like I know that it exists. Mm. And that people have it, but I wouldn't know there's what that even hundreds, means. I don't know what the the figures are in Australia, but there's it's in the hundreds of thousands. Mm. Yeah, and being it's diagnosed in Australia because like the AIDS thing was such a big, you know, like everybody knows about what AIDS mm. was because it was an you were gonna die. Mm. You you get HIV, you're gonna die eventually. Mm. That's the only yeah. thing. Is the prognosis the same thing for hepatitis C? Is it like the, no, no more chance of liver cancer and, and an earlier death? Yeah, okay. Um, but it all comes down to lifestyle choices and yeah, well, that's amazing that you... and stuff like that. But yeah, you, you you would most likely end up with liver cirrhosis. Yeah, um, and may require a liver transplant. Um, before before you were going to die, your liver was going to break down before the rest of your body was going to break down. Wow. Most likely your liver was going to be the first thing that was going to go or yeah, liver cancer or cirrhosis. So oh. that was basically your liver was getting overworked every day. Mm. Um, yeah. It was, it was. And so then you sorted that out and you lived with it for 19 years. Mm. But then. So, yeah, prior to that, um, 2014, December 2014, I – I uh, worked in the coal mining industry. I uh, started when I was 28. Um, and I was working uh, as a deputy in Queensland. Um, my job was to oversee production, do the inspections, basically be in charge of the, the operations underground. So you do the manager's role underground. Um, it was a high coal mining, underground coal mining is a, is a job that you don't really understand unless you go underground unless and see what happens. Unless you've seen the movie Zoolander. Yeah, oh, I still haven't seen that movie, actually. <laughs> he gets the black lung yeah. from being underground for a day. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, um, yeah, but... It, I didn't know that people still did that in the modern day, had underground coal mining. I didn't yeah, even know still that. still a big, huge industry in Australia. Huge industry. One of, the, one, of the, one of the oldest industries in Australia, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, it's been around for a long time. And uh, surprisingly, yeah, you don't realise how much... And I know there's huge controversy... With coal and, and and fossil fuels, um, and I understand that. I'm I'm a greenie myself. I mean, I, you know, I support veganism and I support all sorts of environmental issues. Um, one thing That's I've a learned, fucked position <clears throat> to be in, isn't it? Yeah, to have a brain look, like I've, that and then be in the coal mines. Fucking yeah. I I I watched. And I said this before. You know, I, I grew up. My father was a coal miner from from when I was basically born. 
And I watched him get up in the dark, go work all day in the dark and come home in the dark. And I thought, there's got to be more to life than that. Yeah. I never wanted to do it. And then, you know, I hit that age, late 20s, and, and I was working in Melbourne as a, a PT in a boxing gym now at the St Kilda PCYC and playing in a band. I'd done that for years and, and loved it, but I'd got to a stage where I needed I needed change and, and I I had never really earned money mm. um, and, you know, I, needed, I just needed a change. And I uh, started in the industry, hit my dad up, went to central Queensland. But, yeah, uh, a couple of years down the track, got, had, re- had a really good career in mining and, and had a lot of good support and worked my way and, and studied my way into a, a very a lifelong position and, and, and a very respected position in the industry and um, surprised myself what, with what I achieved. And, and that's the other thing with the drumming thing as well. Like I remember saying to Lucas and I'd go to all the rehearsals and I, I just analysed the drum and analysed the drums and I realised I knew all the songs on the drums but I'd never played them but I just <laughs> knew that I could play them. And and Lucas said, mate, get a drum kit and, and be the drummer. And I feel so bad for the original drummer because I ended up booting him out. Yeah. He was a nice guy and a good drummer and, and put me in the band and, and I went from not playing the drum to three months later touring around, you know, the east coast of Australia playing right. live gigs. I was something I was able to pick up straight away and I realised it was it was I was connected to it in a, in a really deep sense. When I started mining it was the same thing. I'd I'd grown up with a father who'd been in the industry my whole life and despite not wanting to be a part of it, when I went into it I realised I'm born for this. Like I it yeah, was in it was my blood. In here, yeah. You know, it was this this is what I, I can do and um I just yeah, I I just took to it and, and had a really good career. But Moving on, um, yeah, down down the track, I'd spent eight years in the industry. I was getting, um, I was week on week off, and and my job required a lot of walking on uneven ground, and uh, I was training at the time, training hard, and I'd hurt myself um, squatting in the gym probably a year earlier, and pulled my groin, and um, I thought that injury had come back to haunt me, and it just I started getting a sore right groin while I was working, and especially towards the end of the week, and I have to walk the belts out and stuff, and um, worked with it and had a week off and tried to rest it up, train around it, come back to work and then, oh, okay, it's coming back on by the end of the week. It was there again and then I'd have the week off, try and train around it, come back to work and then one week, I'd, I'd, probably three or four weeks later, I'd come back to work and the first day it was really sore and I just thought there's no way I'm going to get through there because, again, you're doing 12-hour shifts on uneven ground. It, it really puts a lot of strain on your body. Um, and so I said to my owner manager, he knew about it, and I said, look, can I get it checked out? And he said, yeah, no worries, just see the doctor. Made an appointment, I saw the doctor, and I sort of convinced him. I just said, oh, look, it's an old gym injury, and they said, yeah, push, pull your leg and just put pressure on it and, okay, have a week off. Had a week off and went to go back to work, and then it was still sore, so I had another week off. Um, still sore, had another week off. I was working with a physio, I was getting massage, getting acupuncture, trying all these different things to try and get this leg sorted out. And luckily I had unlimited sick leave so I didn't have to worry about, you know, running out of sick leave. And But I'd, in my job, you, you don't take time off work. Mm. You, you're at work, you know, you've got to be there every day and you might have a day off every now and again but you, do, you don't take time off work unless you book holidays. Um, so I started to feel really like I need to get this sorted and get back to work ASAP because you don't want to show weakness either in that industry. You, you've got to be strong. Um, so it'd take more time off. And my physio, she was really good and she just said, look, I can't work you out. I reckon I recommend you go see a, uh orthopaedic surgeon, get out of Brisbane. I was in Emerald at the time. Um, make an appointment, 
and, and see a specialist and try and work this out. She said, oh, I can usually work 99% of people out. I can't work you out. So I'd made an appointment with a top specialist in Brisbane. I drove to Rockhampton, got an MRI scan. Um, they noticed my right femur was swollen. That was causing the pinched nerve feeling. They didn't know what was causing it. He said, look, go back. Uh, we'll wait six weeks um, and we'll do another scan, see if it's getting better or worse. Um, at the time, he said, um, and oh, I, don't know, I don't know how you say this, but I'll, he said it's not cancer. He said it's, it's not a quick fix. So I knew that it was, okay, well, we're all right. But that's all I had to tell work. I had another three and a half weeks off and I rang him and I said, look, man, I've been off work too long. Can we get this sorted? So he said, yeah, have another look. Did another scan and, and then he said, look, I can't help you. I'm going to have to refer you to someone above me. So sent me to another surgeon down in uh, Brisbane. It started about August, September when I started feeling the pain and this was about November, late November by this time and, and going into early December. And So I made an appointment with a, a guy in Brisbane at the Wesley. Uh, he was a surgeon. Um, I got suspected kidney stones a week before um, and I didn't pass the stones, but then I noticed there was something on my spleen and then... Um, I went down, I had a bag, a couple of T-shirts, a pair of jeans um, sort of thing, stayed in the backpackers, went to the appointment that day. Uh, they, he looked at the scan and said, look, I'll do a bone biopsy, see what we get. And come back the next day and he said, look, we didn't get enough tissue. We'll do it. I'm going to have to do a liver biopsy. So I come back <sighs> in the next day, did a liver biopsy, come back and he said, mate, you've got non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, I need to operate on your legs straight away. It's about the Stage break. Stage so four. So, yeah, they, they once they got into um, – they operated, put a pin, so I've got a femoral nail through my right femur, the length of my femur, but come back as aggressive stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So um, I was in, yeah, in so the deep like end. So was it a tumour in the inside of your so femur? So I had, um, the lymphoma was eating into the bone. Wow. Um, so that was part of it attacking my bone. So when I did my PET scan, um, it was in my femur, my liver, my kidneys, my spleen, my chest, a little bit in my neck. Um, my body lit up like a Christmas tree. I, and I was training at the time. So because I couldn't do body, uh, lower body, any squats or anything like that, I was because I was started to limp really badly on the leg. I couldn't put pressure on it because of the pinched nerve. Um, I was still doing upper body work. And I was going through – so I had my training regime. I had a gym, a home gym. Um, and I was – I'd written up this program where I had to do one more rep than the session before every time. So, you yeah. know, I was up to like 20 – three chin-ups, I think, in a row, which is I still can't even do that now. Like I was getting stronger every day. I was training hard um, right up until I went down for that appointment. So, And then, yeah, when they they diagnosed me, my whole body was riddled with with cancer and I was like, far out. Fuck, man. You never know. What was interesting about that when you were telling me about this before today, that you were like, I'd already gotten the worst diagnosis Mm. ever of my life Mm. when you were 19. Mm. How old were you when you? Yeah, 19. And then, so that this second time, what did this one feel like? So this is, this is the real interesting part. So a um, couple of things. Obviously, yeah, the, the, the hepatitis diagnosis was hit me a lot harder than, than cancer. I, it was harder to take that at that age because I hadn't lived my life yet. Yeah. At 19, I, I, was, I got caught up in a world and, and I hadn't really, you know, I, did, I didn't want to. Just didn't want to know about that. When I was 36, I'd lived a, a reasonably, and to this day, like, you know, I'm starting to get some really new uh, visions for my future. But at 36 years old, and I was engaged at the time and, and in a relationship, and, you know, I had a lot of good friends and family, a good career. Um, but I, I feel like I've lived a full life. Like, if I was to get hit by a car, 
going home this afternoon, so be it. Like I've I've lived life. I, I'm I'm the sort of person, and probably for a long time, I don't know if it comes out of um, personal depression or, but I, I I'm I can the the concept of death doesn't put fear into me. I, mm. I, I, I welcome death. I know it sounds a bit sick, but um. I'm not afraid to die. I'm more afraid of letting people down um, mm-hmm. than I am of dying. Dying is, um, you know, that's just, to me, it's opening a new door to a, a different energy field. I'm, I'm going to a different place in, 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 you know, my spirit will go somewhere else. That's how I, I think. But, um, yeah, I wasn't afraid of dying. I felt like I'd lived a full life. I've, you know, I've chased my dreams. I've had experiences. I've, I've experienced love. I've, I've done all sorts of things and... Uh, I just felt like, well, if now's my time, then now's my time. But the interesting about that experience, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't afraid of dying. But what I did realise, and, and I went into hospital that week, got the operation, and I, I, I got home six months later. I had that bag with you know t-shirts. I got home six months later from from a very aggressive chemo treatment. But um, in the the first few weeks, and and when it happened, and my friends and my family, my partner were hugely upset you know people were just shattered mm. by my situation because I was a healthy guy you know I, you know as far as most people around me I was you know I was strong I was fit I was I was healthy and and I had a good diet and you know I was the most unlikely cancer patient I didn't know anyone that had cancer and I didn't know any really know anything about cancer I had no ex- exposure to it no mm. experience with it um but straight away the first thing I thought was I've been gifted this opportunity to experience this um, because as far as I was concerned, it was like putting it on my resume, my life resume. I, I just thought this is awesome. I, I get to I get to actually – I knew nothing about these people but I was going to experience it firsthand. Wow. Um, underground coal mining and, and like fighting – um, and I've never been a, a competitive fighter, but I've, I've been involved in, and I love the sport of, you know, especially boxing and, mm. and fighting, but it's, it's about, um, learning to be resilient. Uh, and my work in underground coal mining, it was, it was resilience. Like, you know, it's a tough, tough job. One of the hardest jobs I think in the world to do, mm-hmm. um, and to, to do, to sharp every day and, and work 12 hours in that environment. No one sees what you do and. Um, it's a horrible job. Like when when shit goes wrong underground and underground coal mine, it's oh, oh fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's shit, you're not seeing the light of day. Shit work, man. Yeah. And it's just filthy, filthy work. I'll show you a photo after this of <laughs> uh, one shift, me one shift. But but it taught me how to be resilient when 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 the going gets tough and the tough get going, sort of thing. And so I knew that with the odds stacked up against me, then you know, okay, I can deal with this. For starters, I thought. You know, if anyone's going to – I was training, I was strong, I was fit, uh, I was young. I thought if little kids can get through this and, and old ladies can get through this, I'm going to smash this. Like it's chosen – first of all, it's chosen the right person. Luckily for me with my diagnosis, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is responsive to chemo and it's curable um, and it was aggressive. So aggressive uh, lymphoma is is more responsive to chemo. So the chemo will go straight to the aggressive oh, cancer. Wow. So there were some positives. It was diffused large B-cell non-hodgical lymphoma. So as they went through and they, they did more, um, what do you call it, you know, prognosis and, and found out what it was, there were the, all these boxes started to get ticked. Even though I was deep into it, I was going to, you know, I was curable. So I knew straight away with my mindset, my mindset was um, – 
if I'm going to die, then it, I learned to be in the moment. I learned to be right in that very moment. And mm. I thought if I've got one week to live, it's going to be the best week of my life. <laughs> like wow. I'm going to feel – and it was about how I felt inside and I felt like don't hold on to anything that's going to make you feel bad. Like let it all go. Luckily for me, I, I, I was getting paid still – um, the Leukemia Foundation put me up in a, a place to live in Brisbane, which was oh, nice. so uh, amazing. What the, you know, some of the charities out there and what they what they do. So there was support there, um, but yeah, I was able to just be in the moment. And I thought, from now until death, I'm gonna just enjoy every second I have. And so my life force, being in that moment, my life force took over. Like there's mm. something inside of me just all of a sudden become alive, and I was alive. And when you feel that way, and I learned to also, and I said this to you, to you before, like people talk about fighting cancer. For me, mm. I wasn't going to fight the cancer. I'd, I was highly stressed from my work. I had my, my relationship was stressful based on some some things, um, and, and I was under pressure, and I needed to let go of pressure. So I was able to just when I went into hospital, when I was six months permanently in in, in the Wesleyan Hospital, and I realised let go of all this stress, like just just de-stress let the chemo fight the cancer you just learn to relax and just just relax and heal you need to heal something's going on inside your body that's not right they don't know what causes uh non-hodgkin lymphoma i don't know about actual hodgkin lymphoma but lymphoma itself so they don't know what causes it but i knew i was highly stressed and and i just i knew there was things just not right so yeah just de-stress relax um and be in the moment and let that life force take over and it did and i realized that and I've got a long way to go. In, intuitively, I knew that I'd be here mm. now. I, I wasn't, but but um, but yeah, I think I, all those things, not being afraid to die, and, and yeah, I don't know. Just I, I was. I look back on that moment, and it was like one of the best times of my life. Like I just that's loved it. crazy, yeah, man. I had a ball. Yeah, I had a ball. But that that is something, and and I guess I, it's amazing that we kind of come all the way around to this now because this is exactly what we started talking about. Like that feeling of release and and just knowing that basically all I can do is exactly what I can do right now and I need to mm. give my body the best chance I can and I think there's something to be said for that I don't personally know I've never had a terminal illness but that sensation I know a hundred percent that feeling that it's like stepping into a bath of warm water when you finally just fucking let yeah, go. Yeah. Let go. Mm. You know, and anytime you're holding on to some bullshit you're, or that like someone calls you out on something and you get all stressed and mad about it and then you finally both relax and laugh about what you just did, like those moments are the best moments of your life. And they're tiny, minuscule compared to something like this where you're actually confronting your own mortality. Mm. But a lot of people that have survived cancer have talked about that same feeling. Yeah, right. Yeah. Apparently it's very common for people that get, you know, kind of like a terminal diagnosis or something really bad. Yeah. That it totally shifts perspective. Yeah, definitely. Coming out of it, it's probably been the hardest thing now. Um, uh, it does change your perspective on life. Mm. Uh, you learn to let go of a lot of stuff that you're holding on to. Um, but you see life obviously through different eyes and, mm. and you see what you've, you see as important and what's not important. Uh, we live in a world now where, you know, obviously Instagram followers and things oh, like that fuck. seems to be a focus of, you know, society and life and, and popularity and, and success. 
and 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 we're all chasing money to live these lives. Um, we've, we've all forgotten how to love. Like we don't we don't love yeah, each other. Man. We don't love ourselves. Like that's the hardest thing, and that's the one thing I realized. Um, yeah, there's just You're there's not a lot right, of love yeah. in the world. Like there there is. Don't get me wrong. There's a, there is a lot of love out there. But we've just put it aside for everything else. Mm. Um, and then we tell each other not to, uh, you know, acts of love seem to, to go, I don't know, we just, we live in a funny world. People are more focused on just, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Oh, 100%, yeah. man. I couldn't agree more. When, and, yeah. it's, and, and the weird part is, is it's, a, it's a matter of kind of playing along with the system, but and, and honestly, it's lonely to think otherwise, which mm. fucking sucks because the, the solution to loneliness is more connectivity, in my opinion. Mm. I think connection is the whole reason for this podcast. It's the whole reason I'm trying to do anything I ever do in my life is to increase my ability to connect to other people in a meaningful way. Sometimes yeah. you fuck it up. Sometimes you don't do it right. But for the most part, like this is the aim. And I think that uh, the more that we're... Focus. Well, obviously, we're constantly focused on these external things. But the more I'm aiming to say, do something deeply connective, it makes you feel lonelier because mm. it's not the normal way of doing things. You know what I mean? Anytime you participate outside of that system, you're on your own. Yeah. Even if you are trying to do the most connective thing, <laughs> the the antidote for loneliness, mm. you. It can make you more lonely. Yeah, it isolates you. Yeah, and like you having that perspective. You know, well, one example of this, there's a great book about this. It's uh, Sartre is the writer. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre is his name. He's a philosopher. And the book, I, it depends on the translation, but it's called The Outsider. Mm. And he has this philosophical concept, essentially, that uh, our as social beings, we participate in a social construct. And what would it be like if a person didn't? exist inside that social construct. They just dealt with the immediate present moment as it is, exactly as it is, with no pretense, no bullshit, no nothing. Mm. Um, not robotic, but exactly in the immediate present moment, doing whatever they want to at the whim of their fancy. Essentially, the, the it's based on a philosophical idea that he's turned into a character. Yep. So then he plays out this story of what, what would this character's life be like if he didn't move according to what the social structure intended. And it sound, the way I'm describing this, it sounds like a real cheesy bullshit thing. It's yeah, not at all. It's like yeah, a very yeah. beautiful book. <laughs> but it's, it's a really cool concept. And, the, and essentially, basically, he doesn't cry at his mother's funeral because he doesn't feel like crying at that moment. His grief is a totally different level of grief. And this tiny little moment where a few people notice he's not crying at his mother's funeral leads in the end, ultimately, to him being put sentenced to death in prison. And it, there's a whole thing that goes along with it. So it's really... And, and the concept is... I was reading this book, and I was kind of like, yeah, this is fucked. Like, I am... Uh, we are, as a group, expected to pretend to feel a way so that it makes us feel more connected to other people. And if we don't say the right words or act the right way in each circumstance, we become weird, unusual, and drawn away mm. and dangerous to other people because we're not playing the game that the way that they expect it. So mm. in a giant, long-winded way to circle back to what you're talking about, what I meant was when you said you see things in a different way, like when you have kind of a level of importance that is totally different than Sally being um, bullied at work 
mm. by some dickhead or whatever. And it's not she's not being bullied. It's just that the two of them, like, are fighting over the printer or whatever, some fucking yeah. dumb thing, right? So, like, when you're experiencing your life and you have this kind of really powerful and intense realization and then somebody comes and complains to you about some guy that scratched their car, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> And that can be really isolating. So when I was reading that book and I was kind of experimenting with this idea and not buying into people's stories when people were telling me stories about bullshit and wanting me to gossip back with them or whatever. And I was doing this kind of as an experiment to just not react to it, to see what would happen. And it was immediately isolating. I felt lonely. I felt like people didn't understand me. People were afraid of me. People were angry that I wasn't reacting to their, you know, they were like, well, but like, what are you taking her side? And you're like, I'm not, no, I'm not participating. And that whole thing, it's like you've forgotten how to play the game. Yeah, there's all these expected responses to to life that we're all falling into these categories and, and living all in the same direction and, mm. and when you step outside of that and, and become an individual or, you know, then you become an outsider and then you become lonely and then you become an, and that's And that's a dangerous path yeah, yeah. to go I down think, because yeah. that we both know where that leads. Yeah. But the, the nice thing about it and kind of the nice moral of the end of that was that at the end of this experiment and having this thought and understanding and probably the same thing for you, I hope, is that... Um, you may lose many of the many, mm. but you will find the few mm. that completely understand. Yeah. And that on me coming out of this on the other side, on some of the same similar bullshit that I've been through in my life, that it was kind of like, oh, I understand now quite clearly inside myself what is important to me. And there are a few people now, especially through this podcast in particular, that I'm connecting to more and more people that understand this kind of shit on a totally different level. Mm. And what's amazing about it is the more we talk about it amongst ourselves, if say you and me are just having an understanding of this concept together, but we're doing it on the internet, I have people that send me messages from fucking England that are like, I get what you're talking about. Mm. And I never thought of it that way. And thank God that somebody said it, um, whatever, you know, whatever the fuck was going on. And it's not me doing this. What it is, is like a realization that there are alternate ways of being and everyone knows that because you open Instagram and everyone's an individual, (laughs) but it's like, it's it's being able to articulate these ideas because you've experienced them. Mm. And and because you don't shy away from when you have that sensation, you go, I feel lonely and different instead of going into a black hole and just exiting. Mm. You've got the option of talking about it to other people. The beauty of what you're doing with this and, and like I said, with, with drumming and, um, turning and I'm starting to realise and I've gone back, I've come full circle with drumming so I haven't drummed since I was 24 it's been 18 years and all of a sudden I've realised you know, I've gone through a tough, it's been a tough year personally going through some some things, you know I was vulnerable this year and, and opened my heart up and all this stuff but um, you know I've been slowly feeling like you know, I pulled myself off social media because I'm spending too much time and, and I realised I need to get back, I've been struggling to find a new career and all this stuff and it's been going on for a long time where I'm I've lost direction and what am I doing mm. in my life, you know? Especially at my age and um with all the things that have happened and you know, I've got a lot stacked up against me, but I, I'm I've also got a lot of things that I can use in my favour and I'm trying to find my strengths and you know. Yeah, and well and it creates an environment that you want to be in. Because mm. because it, it's either a one mentality to have is uh 
fuck it, nobody understands me, they're all fuckwits. Or fuck it, nobody understands me, I'm a fuckwit. Mm. Or fuck it, nobody understands me, I better understand myself and figure out how many more people can start to understand me. Yeah. And that's kind of like I've gone through both channels and mm. I, I dip in and out of them, yeah. <laughs> all three of those <laughs> all the time. But that's kind of the idea is like, okay, because at the end of the day, you're the one that experiences your life. And, and anytime we try to say it's about others, it never everything drills down to you. Yeah. You have to be with you. Yeah. 24-7. Yeah. I find this an exhausting concept that even yeah. when I'm asleep, I'm not aware that I'm asleep. So I have to, the only time I'm aware, I'm always aware. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. no fucking break from yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I find that very exhausting. But um, the, so the point is I have to be, I have to be inside this for the extended period of my life. So at the end of the day, I do need to be, uh, I always am worried about how can I make this experience better for myself. But the, the oxymoron is the more you're better for other people, the better you are for yourself. Yeah. And it consistently, it's a constant feedback loop. So the most selfish thing you can possibly do is be better for other people. Mm. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. And, and I'm, I'm learning this at the moment, opportunity mm. and talking about career and trying to find direction. And, and I sort of avoided going back to personal training, but I did enjoy that part of my life because you're increasing the value of people's lives. You're helping them. You know, whether it be learning boxing or, or uh, an art like that. Um, uh, and I, opportunities come up for me at the moment to mentor um, some troubled youth. And, oh, yeah. And using the boxing. Fact you'd have the ex- life experience for yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't realise um, how much probably potential there might be in that for me. And, and um, this has just come up in the last couple of weeks and I've sort of, jumped at it and said, yeah, 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 I'll jump on board and, and get involved in this. But, man, it's just got my brain thinking about what everything we've talked about today and, and you know, my experience and what I've been through and, and how easy it is to get caught up, like the road that I took as a young teenager and, and going down the road. It's here on the Gold Coast. It's probably not as nowhere near as bad, I think, on the Gold Coast as it is in Wollongong. Like, Wollongong's got a major, mm. some major problems down there from what I've seen. There's a lot what do more. you think the root of that is in a, a city like that? I, I know, asked it's, Lucas it's, the same question. Yeah, we, we've grown up. I, I don't know. There's, this, yeah, Gold Coast is a beautiful place, beautiful beaches, beautiful, you know, it's like a holiday place of Australia. Wollongong's got this huge, big, dirty steelworks right in the middle of it, and mm. I don't know. It's just it's just industrial. Yeah, it's industrial. People left behind. Yeah, you it's think? like we all. Man, we used to say yeah, Wollongong's got this dark cloud over it, and you know, people get caught up and ah, just yeah, it's just something a little bit dirtier about it. It's probably like you know, maybe in the states and places like that, like Detroit and that, where it's just yeah. this working class society where. Just go work, come home, and, and people don't have any outlet for happiness. Um, there's not enough stimulation. I mean, the beautiful coastline, beautiful beaches, you know, beautiful escarpment, but there's just something, I don't know, if, whether the, the local councils let, I don't know what it is. I don't know. It's just something's infiltrated that place, and, you know, but it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems to be more prominent, what I've seen. Um, yeah, I don't know. Down huh. there, but, um, but yeah, getting back um, yeah, with the mentoring side of things and um, I'm realising that getting having to get up for others because um, you realise that you can have an impact on them in a positive 
mm. positive way that's given me so much drive to want to better myself man I'm, I'm, yeah man like I'm, getting back to what what your core value is that makes you you mm. and makes well makes you feel whole mm. then also what life skills what uh experiences in your life have built up you the person that you are not resisting that and rolling with it mm. like that i think that that is kind of like the ultimate life lesson is that it's we're always trying to be a somebody mm. and really like it's more about just realizing what it is that makes you you and exactly. it's not yeah. and it's not like the aspects of you that make you you it's your essence it's yourself and i mm. think we deny those because they're too easy to come by like you you can never see your own benefit because you're always looking at what other people have that you wish you had. Mm. And what and usually and Carl Jung's idea on this is that the positives that you see in other people are things that you can't see in yourself, but yeah. qualities that you possess that your subconscious appreciates about you, mm. but you are not able to see them because you're too busy looking at everyone else. And then the opposite is true. People that you hate possess qualities that you are not willing to deal with and accept of yourself. Yeah. So anytime that uh, somebody yeah, rubs you the wrong way, the very first thing to do is like, oh, what about them is in me? Mm. And it's a nice thing. It's a fun experiment to play. It's also exhausting yeah. <laughs> and terrifying. But um, so... So what's interesting about that is that you are none of us really are very often privy to our own benefits and like what can we provide to the world out there and usually you have to rely on good people around you that know you well mm. that can kind of be like that totally is exactly added. you because yeah. you're not going to know it you're too busy looking at everybody else and that's yeah. what everyone else is doing about everyone else yeah we're too busy telling other people what is right for them <laughs> to yeah. know what's right for us yeah if people can identify what your strengths are and, and draw. The, the best parts of you out of you more and more. Yeah. But you can't do you. that. You can't do that without spending that also time individually Around. on you. And so yeah. I think, I think like having your own individual creative expression, but I think every creativity should be for everybody. I'm, I really makes me sad when people are like, Oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Like you do, you're a human being. Mm. Your existence is creation. Yeah. Like the simple exactly. fact that you're here is a fucking miracle. Everything that everything we do is creation. And I realize like business and, and we're creating on a daily basis. You're creating content now. We're creating a podcast. Mm. You're, you know, people that are out working are creating all day and, and everything we, we overlook the simplicity in what creation actually is. And like I said, yes. we, we are creation itself. Um, you know, we create, we create energy. We create conversations. We create, we create our day. Yeah, you know, create. And, yeah, and like if you weren't is, conscious, your experience of reality wouldn't exist. Mm, You're creating mm, this moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At every second, and it's not in the way that, like, oh, now I'm going to create a million dollars. That's dumb. Mm. But the point is, like that we uh, that in order to know yourself, you have to know where what your value is, what you're creating, what you, what drives you, what makes that thing feel yeah, good inside you. Yeah. And then paying attention to your life experience and all of the other little elements that make what you are. Yeah. And I think like, it's nice to hear you say that, um, this idea of not fighting cancer, but rolling with it. What mm. it was literally the key to s resolving that problem. Yeah, for I yourself. think so. Yeah, it was because yeah, it, cause stress and worry is, it's the opposite yeah, of it. And it that's never the last fucking thing you want to be works. doing. And that's what a lot of people and you know, I jumped on when I had been on social when I am on social media and 
um, a lot of um, the international cancer groups and stuff because I wanted to get into the post-cancer. I wanted to start my own charity, post-cancer support, because there's a lot of charities out there supporting cancer. Mm. Um, there's nothing specifically that I know of that's out there supporting post-cancer people because this is the hardest stage. The hardest that, part is after cancer and, and that's what I found as well. Once you've gone through and I used a lot of – even though it was such a – I look back on it, it's such a enjoyable time for me and, and, and a life experience that I value with – I just absolutely love. Um, I used up all of this energy that I did have to, to survive – um, and I was exhausted after it, um, and that exhaustion has lasted lasts a long time. Yeah, wow. Um, and it takes a lot out of you. Chemo, obviously, it, it, you know, brain power and memory. And you know, I struggle with memory. I struggle with concentration and focus and all those sorts of things. Uh, and I'm trying to build that, and, and drumming's helping me do that as well. But, um, but yeah, that that life after cancer is, is the tough one. It's it's because mm. you're afraid to live life the same. You're afraid to live with as much vigor. And some people do, but um. Um, yeah, it, it can really just. Oh, Do yeah, you think that that is related to the fact that you had this amazing moment of vitality and clarity, mm. and then life resumed? Yeah. You know, like you know, sometimes after you have like an amazing trip, and you're like everything's clear, and I get it, mm. and then three months later, you're like, oh the. F- what the fuck was I even thinking? Because mm. it's like all of your little doubts and insecurities and anxieties and bullshit come Just back. Had to come back in, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Because like I was in the moment, and then all of a sudden, I found myself thinking it. about the past and the future, and mm. in a place that I, you know, I, I didn't need to be for a while. Mm. Um, and now I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with that every day. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the past and stressing about the future, and I'm, I'm in that state now. And I can't be in the moment like I used to when I was going through that mm. experience. So. Um, yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. It's it's, man. it's it's hard to you're back. I'm back to being a normal person, I suppose, and living everyday life. And now I've got to try and remind myself, yeah, find means of being in the moment. Being yeah, yeah. I feel like, unfortunately, the thing that makes them that moment, the flow state, that vitality, like oh beautiful creativity, connection, love, what makes all of those things feel so fucking good is that it's so rare. (laughs) It's so hard to come by. And unfortunately, like, I think that's our mission. It is as stupid as this sounds, and this is, uh, if I'm going to make a grand sweeping statement, like the whole meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find connection to that thing. I feel like that's our driving force. The thing, and maybe some people call it God or whatever. I don't, uh, I would definitely not call it God. For me, it's like that immediate moment of the experience of something so powerful that you can't put words to it. Like wholeness or something. Yeah, it's just like that. Like I'm completely in the moment, like connected on stage and you have just a great night you can't do anything wrong or you finally get that painting out you fi- you like land on this melody you've been working on forever you or like especially like playing music with other people and you oh, all of a sudden amazing. you guys all it's find time, yourself it's time stops yes, time stops time that's yeah. the thing so it, there are so many different ways to get this and i think i personally think that if there is one u- human universal sensation is that Every human being on the planet has felt that feeling in yeah. some way or another. Yeah. And that is like where we come from 
possibly where we go to. That's like the, and our driving force is to clear away the shit yeah. every day to try and find that feeling a little bit at a time. Yeah. That's what keeps me. It's w- not easy. It doesn't, Fuck life, no, I it found life man. is, requires hard work. Constant you know, focus. I today, a good friend of mine, I was on the phone to him, you know, like hard work, you got to work hard for these things. And oh. whenever you think you've done enough, usually you've got to do a lot more work. Yeah. And anything that I've ever achieved in my life that's been of true um, reward and value has been through constant, constant work. Never, yeah. never easy. It isn't, well, and I can't remember what religious thing this is. It's probably, I believe it's a Buddhist concept, but they call it like cleaning the mirror. And it's like if you imagine yourself as this would be a clean mirror mm. and it's just a clean and clear mirror. Like so from the day you're born, you're just reflecting consciousness out into the world. Like there's nothing tarnishing it, right? You're just experiencing experience yep. and you haven't really had any time to make up your idea about what this is, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's right, or wrong, whatever. You don't know anything. You're just this like you are a mirror reflecting the world back. Yeah. And then over time, the mirror gets covered in shit, like mm. it's just dirty, it gets foggy, it gets dusty, whatever. And the pro- process of meditation is cleaning the mirror. Yeah. It's just every day. So like, so that sh- stuff you're talking about is that like, so say you probably got blasted with cancer that cleared your mirror off, like mm. to the point where you immediately experienced what experiences. And then over time, as you got better, things you know, life starts mm. coming back and starts covering your mirror over again. And so now it's a matter of like getting back to that place of just daily cleaning the mirror. And so like what you're talking about is that the, our task of keeping going after things is, is not that the, that the end result will be a win or a loss or that the end result will be anything. It's mm. the simple fact that every day you're going to get another smear on your mirror yeah. and you have the choice to believe in this mirror and mm. let another one come. Or take a little time and clean it off and keep going. Because you know the end result, the only end result that's worth experiencing is that clarity. Yeah. That's the only thing we want. So, like, I I found it the opposite way. The more success I had in fighting, the more far away I felt from it. Yeah. I couldn't lose. Like, I just kept doing well. And I, further and further away from it, I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't understand why I kept winning. I didn't want to be, I didn't want that for me. That wasn't my world. And so I, my mirror was getting covered in, um, wins and record and ideas and more stuff to do. And I was like, fuck this. I need to get back to where I can just see the clarity in the mirror again. Because mm. and, and maybe that's that's like these business people that are lonely up in their high tower. Their mirror is so covered in shit. Yeah. They have no idea even how to find their way back. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting concept. I've never it's a beautiful that, concept, like, yeah, isn't it? it I, I wish I could remember <laughs> where it yeah. came from. Definitely not my head. Because, yeah, you, you're living life reflecting on, you know, you're... You know, I'm, I'm searching for myself still, even through mm. all these experiences. I'm, I'm still searching for myself. And again, coming back to drumming, um, mm. that that's that's a vision I have. I've visioned, envisioned that myself playing my whole life. You know, I haven't played for 18 years, but I've never stopped visualizing myself playing the drums. It's just why did something. you stop? Weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know. 
Right. Well, and this is the shit thing about our heads is that the things that mean the most to us, we will come up with all the reasons why they're not worth it. Mm. And it's because subconsciously we're so afraid of the failure of that thing that means the most to us. That it's mm. if we suck at it or it fails, then there's no reason to live. Mm. So the more you care about something, the more your brain will come up with very good and clever reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. And it's fucked. Yeah. And, and I, I, I literally every day I have it. Every single day I wake up and it starts out clear and then there's like, oh, you're tired today. You don't want to do that, do you? Oh, oh you shouldn't oh, do that. It's like, fuck off. Oh, Stop it. Yeah. And then, and, and it's only by observation, I think, that, that this happened when I was back in America. I was doing um, open mics like nightly in Denver yeah. and it's a big city in Denver. So you, uh, there'd be like maybe three different open mics in one night at, at certain places. So I... And I, luckily I made a friend there, that oh, another comedian that just like took me under his wing and showed me the ropes, took me to every open mic every night, was showing me how to get to places where you're getting in an Uber, going to the next one. And while I was in it, I was like, all right, I'm just in the flow. I'm just in the swing of things and it's great. I'm going. I'd wake up the next morning and like, fuck, I can't do that again. Because it's exhausting. Like you're watching every walk of life, get on stage, try to be funny. And in and, and those settings, there are like, 50 comedians a night mm. doing two minutes, three minutes at a time, just doing your fucking head in. Mm. And it's not that they're wrong or whatever. It's just like there's so many people are not your style, not your sense of humor. Some people are funny. Some people are really not funny. It's just, it's this like range of human. Ugh. And by the time you're done with it, you're like, like I would get home at 2 a.m. and just lay there and be like, what in the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And then wake up in the morning and be like, not today, I can't do it. Yeah. But I would. I'd always hear the voices and there'd be a million reasons telling me, even dumb shit, like, oh, you don't need to do this. It doesn't matter. And it was like, stop it. I'm going. I'd go there. And every single night, without fail, I learned a lesson. Hmm. Something helped. And the amount that that's changed now, like, I would never have changed that for a second. But every night that I could have, not gone, I would have not learned any of the shit that I learned. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I, the point is, I guess what I'm getting at is that uh, I have all the thoughts. They they always are coming up, but I've decided that this thing is more important than my bullshit in my head. Yeah. And even when I don't want to do it, I'm doing it anyway. And then when I go and do it, and I feel I, I'm directly focused on what's happening that evening. And I'll and even if I trick myself and if it's the worst open mic of all time. Mm. I performed at a cafe one night to three comedians. <laughs> that was it. They, uh, We've two, done that with the band stuff. And it, it was just like, and it was like it was one stuff. in the morning yeah. to three comedians who are basically waiting for their turn to talk to the two of us. You know, it was just so stupid. <laughs> I think what, what I see in that is um, having the drive and the, the, the bigger picture like you, you're connected to, that, that's something that gets you, you, you're doing something that you feel connected to that you must love and enjoy. Mm. Um, and so Sometimes. the drive to go through those long, <laughs> uh, that long period of, you know, torture yeah. to get to a bigger goal um, and consistency is the key but train smart, get smarter about how you're going about it mm. to get more longevity out of it and longevity out of it. But and that's how we beat people that are younger than us yes. because we're smart now. We've got life experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, man, this is so, so good talking to you. We've been well talked over our limit. But, um, oh, fuck, yep, I have to go to work. Yeah. So good talking to you. 
If cool. people want to find out more about what you're doing, do you have social media yeah, pages or anything? Yeah, I'm a little bit off social media at the moment just with um, until I'm ready to – and I, I said I really should be – I've been trying to get to a stage of – I wanted to do the, like I said, the post-cancer support thing, but I'm, mm. I'm really – I'm still – to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm still very lost in my life. I'm, yeah, I'm fine yeah. searching for clarity and um, I'm hoping to bring something um, in the next – you know, I said it might take me six months to 12 months to get this thing off the ground. What I want to do, uh, the side of mentoring and, and I'm hoping things to start to take shape this year and, mm-hmm. and I can, you know, by the end of this year or by next year have something tangible, uh, presentable that I can say, yeah, I'm actually doing this. And a lot of people that know me, um, you know, see that I'm trying to work on something but I'm, I'm not ready to, to put it out there yet because I, I just don't have any content. So, um yeah, yeah, cool. It's, well, it's you gonna keep take us some time, and well, I'll keep working on it. But yeah, man. We'll see, yeah, hopefully. But uh, yeah, the message, the message um, for today. I hope I, didn't, I don't know how much we went off track, but we talked about. <laughs> we always go off track in this thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You just gotta find what's closest, finding what's closest to you, what's inside of you, and 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 what resonates with you most, and and. You know, like the cleaning the mirror thing just... Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't yeah. it? It's a great concept. Yeah, we always have an opportunity to, to start over and, mm. and start again. And unlike, you know, back in the start of this with the drug thing and, you know, you can you can start... I don't know, you can just you find yourself again. You can find yourself again through dark times and, and um, yeah, just keep keep on going. Keep, yeah, man. Keep on going. Life changes and, and things change, but... You find yourself in different scenarios and how you deal with those things, and it's quite interesting. You learn more about who you are through the experiences. And and like I said when I got diagnosed, it was a gift. I just knew straight away I was gifted that experience, and mm. yeah, it's been my latest real experience. And now hopefully I'll get to experience a new experience, and and I'll be able to talk about that and yeah, I mean, be a new chapter. So, so we'll see. Well, good shit, man. I'll talk to you again soon. Cool. Thank you. That was Shannon Friedrich. If you uh, would like to know more about his story or anything else he uh, has done, please do send me a message and I will pass the message on for you. Uh, Any questions, comments, concerns, please do by all means get in touch. I love hearing from you guys and like knowing when things uh, resonate or don't or whatever. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Lorna Bremner if you'd like to. And otherwise, just... Thanks for listening and keep on keeping on. (laughs) Have a great day.